Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. We're going to continue to talk about the, the tent of meeting, and I, and I said last week, what a model it, for your kids. I don't even know if they make them. If they do, it's, they're probably cheesy, but maybe if you find one somewhere and it's a really good model of the tabernacle tent of meeting, what a model to teach our kids and our grandkids about God's mercy and about his love. And about his sacrifice that he made by giving us his one and only son. It is an amazing model that reveals the heart that the Holy Spirit has regarding taking us on the highway of holiness, if you will, into the heart of the Father. And so that's where we're going. And today we're going to look at the curtain and the altar. And... We use Ephesians as our springboard into other passages too. So as I've said so many times, Ephesians gives us a measuring stick of these metaphors of the patterns God wants to stitch and thread into the life of every believer and the church that are mentioned. And he wants the church to look like these patterns, a body, uh, a house or the temple or the tent of meeting as we're looking, a family a flock, an army, and a bride. And we're going to continue to move into these. You can tell how you're growing in the Lord by how your life is manifesting, matching the pattern of those metaphors. And it's really easy to to measure the church that way. So let's look at this tent of meeting idea, this image and how the Holy Spirit wants to uh, unpack that to us. In Ephesians chapter 2 is where we start. I hope you have your Bible. We have the verses on the screen, but it's always good to have your Bible in case all of a sudden the Lord wants to go in another direction. I can say, oh yeah, let's look here, and you're ready to go with me, okay? So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, 16, and 18. This is the NIV uh, UK version, because I'm a Beatle fan. Anyway, no, not really. Okay, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, think location. Think in Christ Jesus. Where are you? I am in the mall right now, or I am in Wendy's right now, or I'm in whatever place you're going to go to later, whatever. I'm in Christ Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, notice this progression, have been brought near, brought near by how? The blood of Christ. In just a little while, we're going to honor the Lord's sacrifice and our coming around the table of the Lord together. The blood of Christ. Now listen, this is not this is not a trick question. When you think of blood, what color immediately comes to mind? Red, okay? When you think of blood, you think of red, okay? In one body he reconciled us by his blood in one body, both Jew and Greek, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And here, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a motion idea of the Holy Spirit drawing us. Look, it says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access, we're talking about these compartments, access to the Father by one Spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants to take us, open our eyes, and take us by the heart and lead us into the progression to the heart of the Father. The book of Hebrews goes on and says it too. Here's what Hebrews says, chapter 9. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, I love that. There are good things already here. Good things that are already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. In other words, there is a real tent of meeting, a real heavenly tabernacle. And remember, God says to Moses, make every, when, he, when Moses was up on the mountain, symbolic of being in the heaven with God to get 
to get direction and instruction. When he tells him about making the tent of meeting, he says, he says, make it exactly like the pattern I showed you on the mountain. Make it like the real one. And then he goes on to say, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, all of us, by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. Now let's look at another passage. We're going to go there, and we're gonna, I'm, building this, I'm building this up. The next passage is also in Hebrews. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, okay, when Jesus of Nazareth came into the world, he said, he said this, and what he said here is what David, 14 generations before Jesus was on earth, 14 generations, David, channeling the messianic anointing, writes Psalm 40, in which he is speaking uh, in the spirit of Messiah about his own life and about the Messiah's heart when he would come. And then the Hebrew writer says, so when Jesus, who was this Messiah, came into the world, he identifies himself in the word of God, in the Psalms, and Jesus says what David said in the spirit. Read it. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Jesus, he's reading himself. Imagine it. Imagine, uh, I don't know, 12 years old perhaps, where you, the self-actualization in Jesus of Nazareth, where he comes to understand this, and he says what's in the word about himself. He says, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, what was the will of God for Jesus? Listen. The will of God for his father was to offer his body a living sacrifice, holy, spotless, pleasing, to prove the will of God. All that God had revealed in the Old Testament through the fathers, through the prophets, through the priests, Jesus was going to embody all that it meant and prove the will of God. He was going to manifest what it meant to truly worship Yahweh. Jesus would be worshiping Yahweh through saying, here I am, it's written of me, I've come to do your will. And what was that? Jesus was going to worship Yahweh by carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus was going to worship Yahweh as a real sacrifice of praise carrying the cross out of the city in humility, and he was going to, for six hours, worship God, sacrificing his life on a cross. And because of that, the Hebrew writer goes on to say in the next verse, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By what Jesus, by the blood, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us. Now look at this really closely. Think of the tent of meeting. Through the curtain that is his body. So the curtain entrance of the tent of meeting, God is saying, symbolizes the body of Jesus. Do you see that? Do you know if you unhitch from the Old Testament, you don't have a clue what that's talking about? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, let us draw near to God. We're, we're going in. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith that brings us there, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, that's blood, and having our bodies washed with pure water, that's next week. When you come through the curtain, what we're going to look at is the curtain, and we're going to look at the first altar after the curtain, and after that altar is this place where the priests washed their bodies before going into the Holy All of this applies. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know what that's talking about. So important. 
Jesus said, now I know that some of the teachers today don't, but Jesus said, if a person is truly schooled in the kingdom, he'll bring out of his treasures things new and old. If it matters what Jesus said, I'll leave that there. Now, this curtain that we're talking about, which represents the body, the real body of Jesus on the cross. Beaten, bleeding, battered, bruised. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, he was beaten black and blue? You heard that? Bloody red, black and blue, and he's a spotless lamb. And his body is the curtain. In Exodus chapter number 26, God, and this isn't in your in the notes, but I just throw this, listen. Make the tabernacle from 10 curtains of finely woven linen. So the woven linen is this pure white, fine linen. Decorate the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Woven skillfully embroidered within with cherubim around it. Angels. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown. Make another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. Make it of finely woven linen, that's white. Embroider it with exquisite designs using blue, purple, and scarlet. In other words, the curtain, which is his body, will present royalty and redemption. It will present majesty and mercy. Yeah. So from the last week, what you see here is uh, a representation. Is this on, guys? The red button. The red. See? No. <laughs> This here, the lighting, this was blue, purple, and scarlet. Only the, priests of, only the priests of the tribe of Levi could enter this. There were 12 tribes, the Levitical tribe, and was broken down around the, here. The, the Levitical tribe, there was one, two, three, three, three uh, splits of the Levitical tribe, and they were the closest to this the presence of God on earth, the glory of God coming down in the Holy of Holies. Nobody could enter this except the priests in the tribe of Levi. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. So people could bring their offerings here and the priest would bring it there and worship God. Uh, nobody could go inside of this except the tribe of Levi. Now through Christ we're all priests and the entrance is for all. Jesus' death on the cross, representing here, opens this up for all to go in. This, this is the curtain that we've just read about, that Paul writes about, and the Hebrew writer writes about, that says, through Jesus Christ, the new and living way, and by his blood, we can't go in here without blood, but we can go in here through the blood of Jesus. It's a finished work, but the work, the finished work of salvation here is not finished here. It goes on to here, and we're looking at this today, and then here, and then on in. This is so important. Now, if we're in here, it, we're, this is all symbolism, but stay with me. If you come through Christ's curtain and you're saved, you're in Christ, you're in here, but you bypass this, the odds of your life being much different than the people that live out here, the odds of it being much different is very low. The odds of you and I hearing God having God really powerfully work in our lives, a church collectively that bypasses what we're going to talk about today will have little, if anything, of this, the glory of God in this. Today I want to talk to you about that bronze altar in the outer court. It's inside the curtain. It's in, we're in Christ, yet... The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to meet us here, the Holy Spirit, and take us here, 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 to here. 
Do you know nobody could go in here except the high priest once a year and never without blood, or God would strike him dead? And he wore bells on the bottom of his robe so that when he went in here, when you heard the bells ringing, you knew that the priest was still alive. What you wanted to ha have happen is for the priest to come back, back out and go, we made it! <laughs> Imagine being a priest and knowing you had to go in there and you're thinking, you wouldn't bypass this. And you would not bypass that. And you would make sure there was bread on the table and the, and the that, because you just wouldn't go waltzing through with your Jesus Club card. You see what I'm saying? This, this altar here is called the whole W H O L E. The whole burnt or brazen, fiery altar. Christ gave everything at the curtain, and the Holy Spirit calls us to do the very next thing. Give everything. Because in order to have the lampstand shining in your life and the, the glory of the Holy Spirit burning, to show you the bread, the living presence of Jesus here in, in the Word that shows you promises to bring here to reach the throne of God, this can't be bypassed. Let me talk about that. That altar right there, the whole burnt, brazen altar, that altar alters our lives. I have five representatives of people in the Old Testament, and one, well, one in the New, four in the Old, one in the New, that, that their life significantly changed based on what took place at that whole burnt offering altar. Two of the ones that we're talking about, it happened in their life before, can we go back just a second? Just a second, thanks guys. Um, just a second. Uh, what happened in their life symbol symbolized right here opened heaven to them and their descendants and in, in, in we're here because of that. The first one is Abraham. The tent of meeting had not been built yet because Moses had not been born yet and the exodus had not happened yet. But God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, which was a very polytheistic, pagan part of the Middle East, and God led him out of there to follow the one true God and live the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? And Abraham was that person, and God promised him that if he would come after him, he'd make him great, he'd make him a great nation, he'd make his name great, and through his body, through his life, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, meaning he would father a child uh, that, would con that would begin this uh, messianic thread throughout all generations. Well, do you, you know the story. There's all kinds of parts of story in there uh, where God, where Abraham has to trust God to have a kid because he can't have a kid and his wife can't have a kid. And so the kid that comes into their life through God has to come by the Spirit's work and by a promise from God and faith in that promise. That young man's name, okay, we can go to the next one, thanks. That young man's name is Isaac. In Genesis 22, we have this encounter where God says after Isaac has started to grow up, there goes the uh, thing. Can somebody go get some water for me out of the brook of Bethlehem? Kidding. Think. Spirit Airlines, I think, just think they're uh, JetBlue and Spirit Airlines. Um, Isaac's grown. Itzhak is his name in Hebrew. It means son of laughter. He's the joy of Abram and Sarah's life. And God says to Abraham, 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 twice. Here I am, Lord. Listen to this phrase. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, the joy of your life, and offer him up to me as a burnt offering. 
on the mountain that I will show you. This is the son given by promise. And you know what Abraham says? Thank you. No, I, I have bottles at home. I just Thank you. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Give a cup to anyone in my name, you've done Brad and I do this all the time. You can follow if you get bored. Just follow Brad and I around. We'll... Um, take your son, your only son, your own, the one you love. God's rubbing it in. Itzhak, the joy of your life. And offer him up to me as a whole burnt offering. You know what Abraham says? He says to his servants, you stay here. The boy and I will go up there and worship God. This is from Bethlehem. Okay. <laughs> I see that we're getting nowhere. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Let's see. We're on Mount Moriah, Hoberna. Take two. We're going over there. We're going to... God called it, offer your son as a whole burnt offering. Abraham says, we're going over there to... Worship, and then we'll be back. So we know the story. Three days' journey to a sacred place, a boy and a man with a sorrowful face, tortured. Can you imagine the torture for three days walking there, knowing what you're... Tortured, yet faithful to God's command to take the life of his son with his own hand. And Itzhak says, Father, there's the fire and there's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb to be offered up in your place. <clears throat> a gleaming knife, an accepted choice, a rush of wind, an angel's voice, a ram in the thicket caught by his horns, and a new age of trusting the Lord is born. Yeah. What happened next is significant. God declares to Abraham because of this altar sacrifice that he would have made. And God stopped him. And I don't have time to explain what that's about. But you know, when you, want, when you really love somebody, you want them to know you, right? God called Abraham his friend, and he wanted Abraham to know what he was going to do with his son. He wanted him to know it. Because your dearest, you want him to know your heart. And he stopped him. Because God will not share his glory with another. And God defines glory as offering up his own son. Abraham, because you did this, I swear by myself, I will bless you and your descendants after you. And I will be a God to them. For all generations, because you obeyed me. He calls it obedience and worship. Where are we at now? We are inside the curtain at this kind of altar. This kind of altar alters the course of your life, your kids' lives, generations to come. The prayers we pray for our families and our kids and our church and our whatever... If, if we bypass the bronze altar, we should not be surprised of the inactivity of the glory of God being revealed in our lives. Itzhak the same. Isaac comes along and not only builds walls, he builds altars. And God leads Isaac, who is a type of Jesus, exactly a type of Jesus, right? Son of laughter. Born by a spirit promise, and he is looking for a bride. And his father sends out uh, kingdom ambassador Eliezer to find Rebecca. Rebecca comes back with Eliezer, type of the Holy Spirit, to be bonded with Itzhak, who is the Messiah type. And when Rebecca comes back, God speaks over her and says, 
Your life is going to open the gates of God to thousands of people throughout all generations. Because burnt altar, bronze altar, whole burnt offering living releases the glory of God to proclaim over your life and over your family and over your destiny things that will alter the course of people that we don't even know yet. And the third one is Solomon, David's son. David is dying and he transfers the kingdom over to his son Solomon. I don't know if you know this, but Solomon wasn't wise before God touched him. We don't, that doesn't mean he was not intellectual, he wasn't smart, but he wasn't wise. And if you find 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4, 1 Kings 3, 2 through 5, 2 Chronicles 6, uh, I, I want to read this. this. I don't have the slides, but if you want to thumb through your word, uh, 1 Kings chapter, do I have any time left? Do we do? What time is it? Eight, okay. Is it 11 or 10? o'clock, or 12 o'clock. Um, did anybody wake up an hour early not realizing it and you were ready to get to church early and it wasn't because you're hungry for God, you just don't know how to keep time right? <laughs> First Kings 2, 1. First Kings 2, 1. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 2. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord. That's always a plus. Teaching your kids to love the Lord. Huge plus. Walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And this was, listen, this was going to later in his life put Solomon in huge trouble in his life with God and his life. He was all in except for just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And mind you, God still anointed him and God still used him and God still put him in place. But you cannot stop destruction from happening by being all in except for a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the anointing that flows from a person's life in a position where they're all in except for a little bit of that, the anointing can make you think it's all right in God's eyes. We cannot be deceived by the fruit of our life ministry if the fruit of our character doesn't line up with the fruit of our ministry. The people were, okay, I'm sorry. Verse four. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered, listen to this. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings to God. That pops. On the altar. What altar? This one. This altar we're talking about. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Imagine this. Ask what you wish me to do or give you. Have you ever wanted that to happen in your life? 
Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father. Solomon had a godly reference of his parent of his parents and could pull from the resource of this covenant hesed that had manifested on his dad's life, his mom's life. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness, uprightness of heart toward you, you have reserved for him. In other words, Solomon says, I'm in this hesed because my father David walked this way before you. And now you're appearing to me and he's pulling these, this context out. And he says, you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now look at Solomon's posture. Oh, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, yet I'm but a little child. This man was not a little child. This man is humbling himself before God, saying, in light of your majesty, in light of your wisdom, I'm a kid in the candy store. I don't... I, 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 He's not coming in saying, they're going to be lucky to have me rule this thing. He is overwhelmed at the task. Generations are at stake. So how he postures himself before God. His father's anointing can't carry him forward. His own with God. This is that moment. And Solomon is on the bronze whole burnt offering altar. He calls himself God's servant. I think three times I'm casually looking without really counting. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you've chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It's impossible without your wisdom. Verse 10. I'll tell you what, you want to turn God on? It's all about how we posture ourselves at the bronze altar. I'll come back to that a little bit. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that he had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, this is when you when we're on the altar, the bronze altar, and we and we and we ring the bell. God speaks. Behold. I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall no one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you did not ask, riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. He said, done deal. I will give you all that, okay? That's, that's a done deal regardless. That's a done deal, but... You want, you want to go more? Because, it, listen, after the bronze altar comes the labor, the lampstands. Listen, if the, the Holy Spirit is saying this to all of us, okay, I, I'll give you, I'll move on the bronze altar, I'll, I'll sacrifice you make before God. But if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, then I will prolong your days. Solomon woke, and behold, it was a dream and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Second Chronicles gives you a little bit different because the priest, I, I don't, maybe Ezra, I don't know who wrote Second Chronicles, maybe, I don't know exactly, no one knows really. But there's a different twist from a priestly perspective than a historian perspective. Point I'm making is that God makes a great response to every person that goes past the curtain in the outer court and onto that whole burnt offering. I was a sophomore at Southeastern University and it was missions week. Um, David Grant, who was a friend of my roommate's pastor, 
they grew up in church together. David Grant was a missionary in Madras, India for uh, years. Young guy at the time, way younger than I am now. And he was home to preach at the missions conference. I had heard him one time before at, at Southeastern. I was supposed to sing in chapel that morning and we met with the president of the college in, the, in his office and prayed. And I noted, and he was talking to David about how the service was going to go. And David was looking out the window, not even paying attention, which was kind of how David would do. And I'm just a kid and I'm supposed to sing. And I'm so overwhelmed, the president of the college and David Grant. And I'm just like, and he looked at me like, as to like, what are you doing? Are you going to hold my bottled water? What are you, you know, not, he wasn't arrogant. He was a godly man, but anyway. So he gets up and they introduce him and he's supposed to say hi and then I'm supposed to sing and he just ripped on and just preached for an hour. And I'm sitting on a platform in front of 1,200 kids the whole time going, I didn't know what to do. I was afraid to move because this guy was, he was like Billy Graham's brother or something. That was my first encounter with him. Second one was this week of missions week and uh, he passed out to everybody before he preached this little slip of paper and he told, asked nobody look at it. And like a good little obedient Christian at Southeastern, I didn't look at it. And he preached the message fiery about giving your all to God and something like what I'm preaching now, and, except his was fiery and, uh, and uh, all that. And at the end, at the end, he had an altar call. And he said, before the altar call, I want you to open this piece of paper. So we all did, 1,200 of us, and on it it said, I pledge to Jesus, and you're supposed to fill your name in, one complete life, sign it and date it. And the way he preached, it wasn't just like, oh, we are, here we are all at kids' camp. We're all emotional, excited. Let's sign it. Let's all walk up. Me and Susie Bobby, let's just walk up, lay it down. No, it wasn't that, because he's this guy. He's like, don't you sign that paper if you don't mean it. He was that guy. I mean, if everybody walks up here and signs it and you don't mean it, you sit where you are. Don't you move and do that. Don't you say to God, you're going to give him everything and you're not. Don't sign that paper. And if you do, you know what you're signing. And God will remember it the rest of your life. <laughs> well, at that time, I had missionaries teaching me all kinds of courses. And half the time anybody preached from the mission field, if it was from Cambodia, I felt called to go to Cambodia. If it was Ethiopia, I was called. Russia called. I was that guy. I wonder if I'm supposed to leave. I wonder if I'm supposed to do this. I mean, heck, I gave away half of my singing career because I thought I was... It was something I wanted, and God wouldn't want me to do anything I wanted, so that's the kind of discipleship I swear. Anybody else went to that conference? Anyway, so I'm sitting out there, and in spite of all that, God, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a sophomore. I'm, it's 1984. Me and George Orwell, we're sitting there, I'm just, you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that paper. And I don't know how everybody else was in the room, but what I did know, God was asking me, will you do this? Have you ever... I'm telling you, there's conviction, there's semi-conviction, there's, there's pseudo-conviction, there's quasi-conviction, and then there's God just shows up in front of you. And the Lord was just saying to me, I was in the, my early 20s, and I knew what he was saying. The rest of your life, will you today, I want to know, Will you pledge your whole life, even to death, to me? I didn't run up to that altar. I saw people zooming up there. I'm like going, my golly, he's really asking me this. I'm a logical dude, so I just sit and, I, and I, I'm thinking... God, I want to answer this, but I don't, I will, I don't have the ability to, to live out a commitment like that. That's not what he asked. He didn't ask me, do you have the ability? 
to just not blink when it comes to decision to follow me all the rest of your life? All in, all in, not part in, all. No matter what, no matter where, no matter how, all. Well, I went up to that altar and I signed it and I had a time with God. A few years back, as I was coming through some stuff, I said to the Lord in my prayer rug in my house, it's actually an apartment. I said, Lord, why is your mercy so deep toward me? Why do you keep me through riptides? Why are you so good to my family? Every one of my kids love the Lord. Why have you been so good to our church? And as sure as I'm standing here, I heard the Lord say, listen to me, somebody. I don't know who you are. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I'm preaching to somebody. The Lord spoke to me and he said, I remember, listen. The Lord spoke to me and said, I remember those who went to the bronze altar afraid of the price I might ask them to pay. And they said, yes. I remember, Tim, every yes at the bronze altar and I remember yours. This past July, he came and met me in my apartment and he asked me, are you still all in? Other countries, life and death, are you still all in? With tears rolling down my eyes, I said, I'll tell you the same thing I told you then. I can't make that, I'll make the commitment, but I can't keep it. Only you can keep me in that commitment, but I make it. The day I flew back from Reading at Bethel, I encountered him on a hill at a prayer place. I was sitting on a, on a rock, and I felt like the Lord himself came and put his, sat next to me and put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, you have great faith. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't think I have any faith at all. How can you say I have great faith? He said, because when you know I'm talking to you, and there have been times you don't know, but when you know it's me, you have never and will never tell me no. You have great faith. Have you ever had God encourage you like that before and you didn't even deserve to even be in the same universe with God? You felt like? What would uh, God ask you? What have you answered? What stipulations? After coming through the curtain where it's not by works of righteousness but by his mercy and you're in Christ. But with that bronze Holborn offering altar there. And you listen, we all have to go there because the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Covenant in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at this the next two weeks. Romans chapter 12 I urge you, brothers and sisters, what? In view of the mercy of God. What does he urge us? To do what Abraham did. To do what Itzhak did. I urge you, in view of what? Guilt? Flames of hell? Fear? No. Stand? And before quickly running into the house... Stand in front of that curtain, that pure white, lamb white, that looks like it's been bludgeoned beyond human recognition. He paid a debt he did not owe. You owed a debt you could not pay. And he went first. That father that the Holy Spirit is drawing us into the heart, that father wants you to know, and I know, he went first. That curtain, that's his son. On the other side of that, right when you walk in, the first thing that meets you is not an usher. It's that bronze altar. And Paul says, in view of the mercy of God, offer. Offer is, is, is a step of the will. You're what? Your bodies. Do you know the pagans offered their bodies in sacrifice, offered their children in fire? to try to appease the wrath of the gods and try to find some form of favor 
You know what God did, the real God? He offered his son so we could have favor. See, the tabernacle in the midst of a polytheistic pagan world was as radical in the Old Testament as Jesus offering the temple of his own self in the new, in the midst. This is your true proper worship. You know what the word proper is in Greek? Logikos. It's where we get the word logic from. In other words, stand still at that curtain and look at it. And then if you are a logical person, I urge you on the base of the logic of what he's done. You offer on that altar a living sacrifice. And then next week we'll look at the rest about the labor. Don't be conformed to the pattern, be transformed. Why do we go to this altar? Psalm 40. David says it like this. I want you to think about you and your past with God. I want you to think about who you were when he found you. I want you to think about who you were after he found you and times where you hope to God nobody knows any part of the downtime and the struggle time and the fallback time and the prodigal after you came home time, like we all have, including preachers, including network district people and worldwide evangelistic campaigns. He stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in. Can anybody remember what yours was? Out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Just go there a minute. What was your muddy mess? Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. It's not sacrifices that really move your heart. Burnt offerings, sin offerings, those who are, those aren't what bring you joy. Next verse. But when you open my ears and speak to me, I become your willing servant, your prisoner of love for life. So I say, and here's where, here's where we identify with Jesus. Here's where we identify with Jesus. Here I am. That's what Abraham said. Here I am. I'm coming to you as a sacrifice for in the prophetic scrolls of the book, it's written of me. You're speaking to me from this book. It's written of me. I delight to fulfill your will, my God, for your living words are written upon the pages of my heart. I'm going to close with this. Your prophetic destiny, not your mama's destiny, not your daddy's destiny, not my destiny for you, not somebody else. Your prophetic God breathed before you were born, written in the book, Destiny. All boils down on the type of altar you stay on in the walk with God that you walk in. You will lose if you get off the bronze altar. More than you'd ever want to lose. Stay on that altar. Listen. This altar here, Satan will offer you the world to keep you off that altar. The world. If, if he can't keep you out of, out of the curtain, but in the, in the camp, saved, he will do any, he will bring the onslaughts of the hordes of hell at you if you go near that bronze altar. Because that altar right there will crush the, the plots that he has for you, your son, your family, your destiny, your city, our nation. That's the altar that many are not on. God wants us to move our feet as the word speaks to us. 
and I, I, I'm, telling, I'm telling somebody, we, we, we walk with our feet by faith of what God has revealed to us, but if we walk in faith and obedience, we can trust that God has us on have you ever been to the airport where they have those like conveyors where you, if you don't feel like you can get on it and if you do that or you can walk on it and go faster? If we walk by faith in the word we know on the bronze altar, God will providentially get us on that conveyor belt and lead us right into the perfect will of God in our lives. People who live on the bronze altar live with heaven opened over their heads. Elisha Hoffman is another one of my favorite dead guys who wrote some great Christian songs. One of them was Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, right? Another one, uh, Lenny, and Lenny Burdick is uh, doing this one this morning at his church. Um, uh, I must tell Jesus all of my burdens. Well, this is the one that came to me when I was writing this sermon. He wrote it in 1900. Can anything good come from 1900? Look at this one. Did you ever sing this one? Probably won't be on K-Love. Unless it's the week where you're, they want the money. Um, what? Uh, what? Is your all on the altar laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Oh, we never can know. This, listen, listen. When I hit, when I hit this lyric, I just thought of people I've known in my life that, that, that got off the altar. Saved and miserable. Saved and funky. Saved and unteachable, saved and unaccountable, saved and fruitless, and they just go and bounce from place to place to place to place and offer their funky to every other place. People that live on the bronze altar have an open heaven. They have the blessing of God, and you see it transforming their families. You see it manifesting in their children. You see it on and on and on. It's no surprise. The forgiveness of God is free through the blood of Jesus Christ, but the blessing of God costs you everything. And I think of people, when I read this, oh, we can never know what the Lord will bestow of the blessings for which we've prayed till our body and soul he doth fully control and our all on the altar is laid. I.T. McGee am the most failed, fallen, fraily, fumbly dude, but my all's on the altar. My all's on the altar for God, my all's on the altar for your, this church, and I ask you what Paul asked the Corinthians, as a fair exchange, is your all on the altar? If we really want to not become a church like that's on Washington Street, that looks like something that should be in Washington, D.C., but doesn't have anybody in it, and they can't even give them away, if we don't want that to be us 10 years from now, outer court has to get on the altar. Amen. We can have manuals, we can have operations manuals, we can have all this with rules, all that stuff. You know who doesn't want to know rules? people who have just given it all up. Do you know who has an open heaven? People who give it all up. They don't call any shot. If we want to go from carnal, casual, cold, into the lampstand fire that's past this altar the blood and body of Christ was offered so that you and I will offer our bodies to Christ. I want you to take this and instead of how 
at times we can do it. I want you to think of something. The body of Jesus is in your hand. Look at it. It's a piece of, it's a little cracker. But if from heaven looking in, the angels that are assigned to this church, the angel of the church of LOH, the angels of the church of LOH are watching me right now, watching you, because they love to see when the gospel's preached. And right now, you are holding in your hand the body of Jesus. Flip it. The blood of Jesus is in your hand. And in view of the mercy of God, is your all on the altar like Abraham, Isaac, Solomon? Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever holds to his life will lose it. And he who gives his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Some of us, the Holy Spirit's told us the past couple weeks that our backyard is tore up. It's tore up because God wants us to get on the whole burnt offering so that he then can take us from where we are and make something beautiful so it doesn't show up in our front yard. Some of us are not a lampstand fully blazing. And how to get that lampstand lit like John the Baptist where Jesus said he was a burning and a shining lamp. It starts on that altar. If you're watching, there are no easy shortcuts. Just like you can't become a great NBA basketball player shooting your Nerf basketball in your office. If you don't make it, don't be surprised. You can't blame every coach for why you didn't make it. The people who made it shoot a thousand foul shots in the morning like Larry Bird did before he went to school. A thousand. I don't know how you do that. What, he get up at three in the morning? I don't know. But you know who he is, right? <laughs> Belichick said the New England Patriot uh, guy that came from another team that was a pro bowler and all that, and he, he came in telling the coaching staff of the Patriots how he was going to do it. And Belichick, you've heard, you've heard of Bill Belichick, right? Have you heard of the New England Patriots? They've won it a few times. You know what Belichick said to him, not in front of others? Put him aside and he said, do you want to be cute or do you want to be a champion? <coughs> Champions are made on the altar. I want everybody to stand, please. I want to know who's going to go to war with me. Not who's going to go to church with me. <clears throat> I want to know if this generation that's upcoming, that's represented by this age group, still has kids in it that are saying, God, I'll go to India, I'll go to Africa, I'll go to China, I'll preach on the streets in Cumberland, I will go study medicine, but I will be a kingdom surgeon, I will be all about you, everything, every bit of my life is all yours. I want to tell you something. We want God to really move in this church, move to the bronze altar like Solomon did. Father, I just pray right now for every person in this room that's sitting like T. McGee was in 1984 in the back of the chapel, and I could have gone through the motions. I could have signed it. I could have drank the cup and ate the bread and did kumbaya and walked out, and nobody but you and I would have known I just conned you out of conviction. Lord, I pray right now, I'm not playing, I'm not pretending, I'm not nursing some superfluous fears of life. I am coming hard with the Holy Spirit like a snorting horse running through the camp, asking if there's anybody that really, truly wants to ride with Jesus.
Is there anybody that truly, really wants to answer the call like the soldiers that went around King David? Is there anybody in the LOH church that doesn't want to play, but they want to pray? They want to pay the price. They want their life. They want an open heaven over their home, over their kids. I pray, God, for the people today that are counting and weighing it out, torn between two wills, that you would give them eyes to see the destiny of their future depends on the type of altar they make. A casual Christian altar that's being made all over America today. A feel-good church. God, raise champions and warriors. I'm going to open this altar for those who don't just want... I didn't give out any papers. This... You have to decide. You don't, you have to decide. But today is one of those days. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar? Is your all on the altar? You're asking too much. In view of the mercy of God, in view of the curtain, I urge you, as Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to you and the, and the mighty work of your great mastery in the house of the Lord. This is not my church. This is not our church. This is not anybody else's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And we come to you right now and pray that you would move mightily, move mightily, break chains, break, break powers, break uh, uh, rebellious spirits that are trying to move on people's lives. Break those things, God, and just do an amazing, amazing work. Let there be a merciful meltdown in the house of the Lord today.